Well, good morning, everyone. My name is John, and I'm so glad that you're able to join us for our online service today. Uh, once again, a quick disclaimer before we start today. Uh, we are today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and so we're going to be talking about uh, marriage and love and about sex. And so uh, today's message is going to be a little bit PG-13, and so if you're watching with younger kids, uh, then uh, feel free to uh, dismiss them. Uh, and if you're watching with older kids, then just know that uh, you probably want to have a conversation with them. And I think this is a conversation that as parents we should be having with our kids, um, but you can decide if you're ready to start that conversation uh, or not. Uh, so today, like I said, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, I don't know kind of what your view is of the Bible, uh, but what we say a lot about the Bible is that the Bible is not actually a book. Uh, the Bible is actually a collection of books and letters, of 66 different books and letters that was written by real people to real places. And so we're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, and so that was written by a real guy named Paul. And Paul lived in the city of Corinth for about a year and a half, uh, and when he got there, there was no Christians, uh, no one had ever heard of the name of Jesus before, and he started telling other people about Jesus, and by the time he left, there was a group of people that were following Jesus, which was amazing. And then Paul moved on, and uh, where Paul is when he's writing the book of 1 Corinthians is he's in a town called Ephesus, so he's just like a, a little ways uh, away from Corinth. But there's kind of this like correspondence going back and forth where they're writing letters. Uh, and what they're writing about is that this group of brand new Christians in Corinth is trying to figure out what does it look like for us to follow Jesus in like our normal everyday life. And a big portion of that had to do with sex. Uh, because Corinth was this incredibly kind of sexually permissive type of a town. Uh, the idea, I mean, it was a very you know, Greek-influenced town and Roman town. And so, you know, every man, you know, had a wife uh, probably, but then they had a mistress, maybe two mistresses. And then if they wanted even more, then they could go down to the local temple. And there was temples for all these different gods, and especially one of the gods in Corinth. You went, and the way in which you worshipped was by spending time with some of the temple prostitutes. And so lots of people were engaging in sexual activity all the time. And so Paul saw this in the year and a half that he was there, and he's talking to them about it, about what it looks like to follow Jesus and what that might mean for the way in which you are living in your sexual life. And we don't know exactly what Paul said because it's not recorded, but somehow what they heard was that sex is bad. D don't do it. Uh, sex is naughty. Sex is dirty. Uh, which if you grew up in church or maybe if you didn't grow up in church, then maybe that's the message that you heard too, is that sex is wrong, sex is bad, and I guess, you know, if you have to do it for procreation, then that'll be okay. But in general, it's just not really something that if you're a Jesus follower, you should be engaging in. But as you can guess, that wasn't an incredibly popular opinion for these new Christians in Corinth is to kind of say, all right, well, I guess if we're going to follow Jesus, and that means we never get to have sex again, or we need to have like a very low view of sex. Uh, so they write a letter to Paul, who's now living in Ephesus, and they want to ask this question. Uh, and so now 1 Corinthians uh, is Paul writing back to these believers in Corinth. Uh, and we're in chapter 7, and you can just kind of like picture this, you know. So uh, these people are 
there in Corinth and they're listening to this letter being read uh, by the Apostle Paul. And he's been talking for six chapters now about all this stuff that's really important and really interesting. But you know that there was at least some people in the audience that are like, oh, but when's he gonna answer our question about sex? Uh, if we follow Jesus, can we still have sex? Is that gonna be okay? Uh, and now he's finally gonna get to it in chapter seven. Uh, and here's what he says. He says, now, finally, getting down to the question you asked in your letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Is that okay? If you're a Christian, uh, can you think of sex well? Can you have sex? Can sex be a part of your life? And Paul says, certainly. And you're gonna see the room just, woohoo! You know, they, this is great news. Then it continues, but. And again, if you're new to church, growing up in church, you're like, well, of course there's a but. And some people think of that as kind of a negative thing. But just for a second, Think about Paul, and you know, he's a real person, these are real people, and Paul would have lived amongst them. And so he just would have like, these weren't like nameless faces, like he would have known. He would have known the stories of wives who watched their husbands go off with their mistresses and go off to the temple to these prostitutes. He might have known uh, some of these mistresses who are engaging in sex with this guy that they know is never going to commit to them. He doesn't want to have a family with them. He is just using them for sex. The Paul might have even taken the time to get to know some of the temple prostitutes and to, to know just the backstory of how they ended up to be in that situation and what it must feel like to live their lives. Uh, he would have known the husbands that were uh, seemingly having all this sex. And so, you know, in our culture, sometimes you might think that they were having a great time. But I think he would have known just how much they were missing out on as well. Uh, what we talked about last week is that the, the Bible's message constantly is not that like, man, you know, all this other sex is terrible, you know, and if you have sex outside of uh, the context that Paul's going to talk about here, then it's just always going to be a horrible thing. Uh, we all know better than that. What Paul is going to say is that there's just something that is so much better. Uh, and here's what Paul says. He says, certainly, but only within a certain context. It is good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of disorder. That that's what Paul wants them to have. As Paul says, yes, sex is, can, can be great. And obviously we all know that in our world, like there can be just so much like harmful sexuality and so much unbalanced sexuality. And it, there can be such a world of disorder when it comes to sexuality. But in the context of marriage, it can be amazing. And maybe some of the people in Corinth then thought, are you sure? And maybe some of you are sitting here saying like, are you sure that marriage is the place where sex is really best? 
Uh, I used to work with high school kids and every year working with high school kids we would do a, a series on sex and we would kind of drive home this message that God wants you to have the best sex possible, that God designed sex and God doesn't want you to settle for anything less than God's ideal version of what sexuality is and it's going to be amazing and that kind of amazing sex will happen in marriage. And then you could almost like see like the way that our church building was, we had an auditorium that was just for middle school and high school kids, and that's where we're doing this series on sex. And then across the hallway was where all the adults were doing adult church. And you can almost see like the high school kids like being like, well, so you're telling me like, it's weird to think about, but like my parents, the other married couples that I see in there, like I, I, I don't know if my parents even like each other. Like, I've never seen them go on a date. Uh, I never see them, like, you know, give each other hugs or kisses. Like, when we watch a movie, they don't sit anywhere close to each other. Like, I, 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 I don't, like, want to even know my parents' personal business. But, like, I'm pretty sure that, like, I, I, I'm here. So I guess they've had sex at least once. But, like, I don't know if, like, it's, like, a normal part of their life at all. And maybe the same is true for you that what you've experienced in your own marriage, what you experienced in your previous marriage, that what you've seen in other marriages, you're like, there's no way that can be the ideal version of sex. And that's absolutely true. Just because you come into a room like this, and maybe you got married somewhere else, I don't know, and you walk in, you know, with your big white dress, or you stand up there in a tux, and you say, I do, that doesn't necessarily at all mean that you're gonna have what God has designed for sex. And so Paul is gonna go on to describe that sex works best in the context of marriage, but not just any old marriage, but in a marriage that has these values. Uh, and he's gonna talk about three ideas that at least when it comes to sexuality, that will make for God's design for what sexuality is supposed to be. Uh, here's what he says. He says, The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her, her husband. The marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. What Paul is saying is that when it comes to sex in marriage, that it should be something that is like mutually satisfying for both people. That both people should like mutually find it pleasurable. Both people should find it emotionally satisfying. Both people should feel like that it is like spiritually connecting them. And here's what I have found in my own life and from talking to many, many people about this subject is that that kind of like mutual satisfaction in sexuality and marriage doesn't just happen. Uh, despite what we might see in Netflix or any other movie where people talk about, you know, they just randomly kind of hooked up, you know, and I've just, you know, I just never felt so connected to someone in my life normally. For people to be connected on not just a, a physical level, but definitely on a physical level, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, it takes lots of time of getting to know each other. Uh, when 
Ash and I uh, first got married, uh, my parents, and that's a little bit weird, uh, gave us a, a book called Making Good Sheet Music. Uh, and it was a book about God's design for sexuality. And one of the main premises of the book is that if you want to make good music in life as a musician, uh, in a band, in an orchestra, and if you want to make good music, sexually speaking, that it takes practice and it takes time. And it takes a while to get to know someone else. Uh, what turns them on? Uh, what turns them off? Uh, what are the things that are going on with them emotionally? Uh, what are the things that they're bringing with them uh, to bed? Uh, what are the things that they're stressed out about that day? What are the things that they're physically tired of? Uh, what are the things that maybe were a year, 10 years, 15 years down the road, which affect the way in which they view sexuality? And how are you going to know all of that unless you put in the time to get to know somebody? And the great thing about the context of marriage is that it gives you lots of time to talk and communicate and find out lots about the other person. But it doesn't just happen. You have to take time to have those conversations. And not to dig into your business, but what I know about a lot of married couples is that they've never really had those conversations of when it comes to sexual intimacy. Oh, how can I serve you? Uh, how can I love you? Oh, what are the things that I can do to make our sex life better and then to work and to practice to make those things better, that it should be mutually beneficial. Uh, and by the way, uh, Paul writing this 2,000 years ago, this would have been just such a, a crazy idea. I mean, in such a world that was ruled by men and many times that women and wives were almost seen as possessions. The idea that when it comes to sexuality, that it's not just about like you getting like your appetite filled, but you need to take into account that both people are equal partners in this and is this mutually beneficial for both people that would have been unheard of in the ancient world and such a wonderful thing that christianity brings of god's design for sexuality um, but it goes uh beyond that uh here's what uh, paul says it says marriage is a decision to serve the other whether in bed or not uh, that this isn't about just like serving each other when you go to bed at night. This is about a lifestyle of serving and sacrificing and loving each other. Uh, one of the things that uh, I do as a pastor is I get to marry people and before we get married, before they get married, we always have a time of premarital counseling. And uh, one of the activities that I have them do is uh, an emotional needs test. Because the truth of us is that all of us have certain needs. Uh, we have needs for people to tell us the truth. Uh, we have needs for recreation and for people to spend time with us. Uh, we have needs for encouragement. And all of us are looking for that. And what I tell couples is that as you are becoming one, that that is now part of your job as man and wife is to know the emotional needs of your spouse and to work 
to meet them. Uh, there was a book a few years ago, uh, it was called Sex Starts in the Kitchen. Uh, and to be honest, if you go out and you read it, there's some uh, good stuff in it. It's a little bit of uh, kind of a old school classic, like, you know, here's the man's roles and here's the women's role uh, in the household. And so it's a lot of talk about, you know, how, you know, guys, make sure you help out with the dishes, make sure you help out with cooking and make sure you help out with those kind of things. And uh, we know that, you know, all those jobs can be done by men and women. But the premise of the book is right on that if you have this expectation that like all day long, I'm gonna ignore you, all day long, I'm, I'm not gonna talk to you, all day long, you know, we're just gonna kinda, you know, be trains crossing and, you know, and I'm not gonna really help you with your stuff and you're not helping with my stuff and we're just kinda living very independent lives. But then somehow, if we go to bed at night and we have sex, that we're gonna like all of a sudden be these like incredibly connected people, that's not gonna work that sex needs to be a representative of a whole life together. That your whole life should be serving and giving and I'm telling you the truth and we're having fun together and we're laughing together. And if that's represented in the rest of the parts of your life, then that will show up in sex. But if it's not happening in the rest of your life, uh, so one of the things that I'm gonna encourage you to do if you are a uh, married couple, engaged couple, is uh, in our next step email, I'm gonna put that emotional needs test. And I wanna encourage you to each take it and then have a conversation to sit down and say, hey, well, what are your highest emotional needs? What are your highest emotional needs? And then ask this super scary question. Am I meeting those needs? Uh, am I helping to fulfill those needs for you in your life? And, and if there's something where it's not, then that might be something that you need to grow in. Uh, then the last thing that uh, Paul says here in this section about marriage and about sex is he's encouraging couples that uh, sex is not only, the marriage isn't only a good context for marriage, but in marriage, sex should be something that's happening frequently that sex should be something that is like happening a lot in your marriage. Here's what he says. He says, abstaining from sex and not having sex is permissible, but only for a period of time and if you both agree to it. And so he's saying that, yeah, if you, you know, both agree that you're not gonna have sex for tonight, if you're not gonna have sex for this week, if you know that if there's a reason, you know, then that's okay. But genuinely, if you're a married couple, Sex should be a frequent part of your relationship, and I'll let you determine what frequent is. But here's what a lot of us know. Uh, here's what I think my high school and middle school kids knew as they looked across the hallway, is that there's a lot of marriage relationships where they're committed to each other, but there is not a lot of intimacy. And I'm sure that there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, it might be because Sex hasn't been very mutual between the two of them. It might be that uh, this, their emotional needs haven't been being met and they're just really not all that close as people anymore. And so of course they're not gonna have sex. But another reason is I just think sometimes we're just way too busy. And it's been amazing even in this time of uh, COVID where a lot of us have seemingly had more time, we just still get so busy. Uh, and even if we're not like busy doing a lot of things, we're just busy in our minds, we're busy watching TV. And intimacy and sexuality is something that we have to take time for in our marriage. Uh, early on in our relationship, I had a 
great opportunity to have two mentors uh, in my life who I just got to watch and see how they lived out uh, their walk with Jesus and how they lived out their marriages. And one of them in particular was great about taking a weekly date night. And I got to watch them even like when their kids were born and they were little, you know, and it can be so hard to like make time to get away from their kids. They would still take time to have babysitters come in and they would take time to even just like take a walk around the block together to, you know, go out for coffee together for just a little bit of time and to make that a regular part of their life. Uh, we had another uh, couple that we really respected and they would take time to once a year get away on some sort of a, a little vacation and sometimes it was a big vacation, sometimes it was a little vacation, but just time where they could spend together. Because what every married couple has found is that after the honeymoon period gets over, it's very easy to spend a lot of time around each other and not a lot of time with each other. And it takes intentionality, it takes a plan, it takes looking at your schedule and saying, we're gonna say no to some things so that we can have some intentional time to talk, to spend time with each other, and to even have sex. And that's something that should happen regularly in a marriage. Uh, and something uh, interesting, Paul continues here. Uh, Paul says, hey, even if you both uh, agree to it, and, it, and it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such times, then come back together. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, under, I'm not understand commanding these periods of abstinence, and so you don't have to ever stop having sex, according to Paul, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Uh, so one of the things interesting there is Paul says, hey, really, you should... Marriage should, in marriage, sex should always be something that's happened frequently. But if you need to abstain, the only reason you should abstain is so you should have a time of kind of special prayer, uh, which I, I don't know of any married couple who's a great married couple who has a great sex life, who's like, you know what, we just need to take some time off from having sex just so we can spend more time in prayer. Uh, but I think there's two really interesting things about that. One, and this is kind of for a whole nother talk, I think that many of us as Christians, as we think about our communication with God through prayer, that we are way underselling how powerful a time of prayer could be. And Paul somehow sees that prayer could be such an incredibly powerful and intimate and passionate thing in our life that we even postpone sex with our spouse so that we can more concentrate every once in a while. And we might need to rethink about just how special prayer could be in our lives. Uh, but the next thing is that there will be times where we're just not able to have sex in our marriage. Uh, health reasons, time reasons, travel reasons, uh, it will come up. And whenever those times come up, you have to know that Satan is ingenious and he's going to do whatever he can to tempt you. Uh, and I think this is true uh, across kind of the sexual landscape. Because uh, this kind of sexuality that Paul was talking about, where it's, it's mutually satisfying, where it's, you know, you're meeting each other's emotional needs, where you're really taking time to plan a romantic evening together. It just takes tons of tons of times. And there is easier and simpler ways to feed a sexual appetite than that. That's why pornography or just kind of simple affairs are so tempting to so many people. 
And Satan is going to do whatever he can to dangle those in front of you and use those to destroy what could be a wonderful marriage relationship. And so if you have a time where you need to be away on travel for a while or because of other factors in life, you know, whatever it might be, hey, just for the next while, whatever that means, you know, sex just can't be a part of our relationship, then prayer better be a part of your relationship because you're going to get tempted and it might get difficult. And Jesus is the thing that's going to help you to be a stay on track and to stay with God's model for sexuality and not to settle for anything less. Uh, so as we end, I want to take uh, communion together. And uh, real quick, before we take communion, uh, another quick kind of little uh, amendum uh, in this. I know this week especially, I mean, we're just talking all about um, marriage and uh, about uh, sexuality. And so if you're watching and if you've hung with us and uh, you're single uh, or if you were married and now you're out of a marriage and you're kind of uh, going through the process of that and just might feel like, man, like wh when do I get included in this conversation? And I, I totally get that. And so make sure you're here next week uh, because Paul goes on and uh, singleness and people that are in difficult marriages, difficult relationships. Uh, man, there's a, Paul has some uh, words for us. And so we're going to talk about that uh, next week. Uh, if you're a married uh, couple, though, uh, I encourage you to sit down and have some conversations this week. Uh, talk about your sexual relationship. And is it a, is it a mutual sexual relationship? Uh, or is it a kind of one-sided, selfish relationship? Uh, take the emotional needs test. Talk about, are we serving each other? Are we helping to give each other what we need emotionally? And is our whole life about just kind of a love and service together? And plan something special together. And I know in COVID, and it, it's difficult. Take some time. Uh, be creative, figure it out, lean into your church community, your church family to ask for help for other people. Find time that you can spend together. Uh, I'm going to take uh, communion. And uh, a huge part of uh, all this and about everything we talk about is our relationship with Jesus and who Jesus is. And what uh, John, who was one of the early disciples of Jesus, uh, what he says in his letter, 1 John, is he's talking about love, and that's what marriage and sexuality should be built off of. And he says that Jesus is love. Not that Jesus is like a proponent of love, not just that Jesus is a fan of love, but Jesus is himself love. And he goes on to say that this is how we know what love is, is that Jesus sacrificed himself for us, and we should do the same. So we remember that we are followers of Jesus and that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. That he wanted to make sure that ours was a relationship that was mutual. That our relationship, that he would go out of his way to do whatever he could to be able to meet the needs that we had in life, to feel loved and to, and to know that we are never alone. And for Jesus, there was no end to that. And as we love in marriage, we're just trying to love our spouse like Jesus loves. Uh, so let's remember that kind of great love. 
and hope that Jesus through his Holy Spirit can inspire us to love like that too as we take communion today. So let's take the bread. Let's take the juice. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of sexuality. Help us to keep it in that right context. Uh, and those of us that are involved in relationships and marriages, help us to put in the, the, the hard work to be able to experience the, the gift of sex like you designed it. To be mutual, to be one of uh, selflessness, of service, uh, and one of frequency. Uh, help us to do that in a way that showcases your love of sacrifice and doing, being willing to constantly do anything, even if it means laying down our own life for the benefit of others. Same and pray. Amen. Uh, band's going to sing one more song, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>